This podcast is presented by Solving Kids Cancer, dedicated to improving survival through novel clinical studies. To learn more about funding opportunities, visit our website at solvingkidscancer.org and click Apply for Grant. This week in Pediatric Oncology, the podcast about new advances for childhood cancer. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode number 42, recorded sometime in May 2014. I'm your host, Tim Kripe from Nationwide Children's Hospital in Columbus, Ohio, affiliated with The Ohio State University. And I don't know the exact date this was recorded because it's one of the, the next in the series from the Cologne, Germany meeting, Advances in Neuroblastoma Research. While I wasn't there, two of my new co-hosts were there, Dr. Neelay Shaw and Dr. Kerry Streeby. Today they interviewed the organizer of the conference, Dr. Frank Bertold. So take it away, Kerry. Welcome to This Week in Pediatric Oncology. I'm Dr. Kerry Streeby here with my colleague, Dr. Neelay Shaw from Nationwide Children's Hospital in Columbus, Ohio. Hello. And we are broadcasting live from Cologne, Germany from the Advances in Neuroblastoma Research Conference. And we have the esteemed pleasure of meeting today with Professor Frank Bertold. Hello. Dr. Bertold is currently a professor of the Department of Pediatric Oncology and Hematology at the University of Cologne. Um, He was the convener of this meeting. He has over 300 publications and is involved in several uh, different committees and task forces, such as the GPOH, which is the German Cooperative Neuroblastoma Trials, and the Society for Pediatric Oncology and Hematology. He's also part of the International Society of Pediatric Oncology, also known as SIOP. And he's been part of the INRG, or International Neuroblastoma Risk Group Task Force. He also was previously an ANR president from 2006 to 2008, and he serves as an advisor to the National Cancer Institute CTEP, or Cancer Therapy Evaluation Program. So it's a great honor to have you here with us today. Thank you. And we wanted to begin by asking you, how do you think that the conference went? I think it was... uh quite successful meeting. Uh, it, the meeting started quite small, founded by Audrey Evans in Philadelphia. She did the pioneering work mm-hmm. and uh, convened approximately 50 people in 1975. Mm-hmm. And since that, every two years, uh, a conference was held long time in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And then later it rotated over the continents. And so, and, and we are very pleased and honored that this time we uh, could hold this conference here, and uh, we are absolutely happy that so many attendants has been seen. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and we were all very pleased to have been here. And I know the the overwhelming opinion was that it was a uh, an outstanding conference and, and very well run. So uh, thank you for being our host. What do you think was the best part of this? meeting for you? The best part um, of this type of conferences is always the exchange of uh, different... uh, So we concentrate on one tumor. Mm -hmm. This is neuroblastoma. And this uh, is viewed from the different scientists, scientists uh, from basic research, translational research, and clinical research. Science is so difficult now uh, that we need to get informed 
and better understand the other part. I'm personally, I'm interested in lab work, but I'm basically a physician and, mm -hmm. and, and, a, and a pediatrician. And I uh, treated whole my life patients and now and know how they can suffer mm -hmm. from this type of terrible disease. So there are at least two different types of disease. One is uh, regressing spontaneously and the other is uh, progressing instead of so many things. And this conference here demonstrated the increasing knowledge, which is really astonishing. And uh, from the basic part, from the understanding of oncogenesis mm -hmm. and up to the clinical part, um, where we really care how to serve our patients. Mm -hmm. And so if you, uh, you ask me what would be... So there are so many highlights. <laughs> <laughs> And it's very difficult uh, to pronounce or highlight one of uh, one of mm -hmm. them, but uh, I think uh, from the basic science, mm -hmm. uh, I found two things uh, very impressing. The original idea, as we started, I'm also relatively long in in the scenery, so with, uh, I bent so my inclusion into the neuroblastoma community was primarily running the German trial. Mm -hmm. And then I became so much interested in the different types of tumors and went to Audrey Evans and mm -hmm. to Philadelphia mm -hmm. and uh, Roger Kennett's lab and, uh, and did some experimental work with monoclonal antibodies. Oh. And so we came familiar. And there was, by chance, the first uh, advanced of neuroblastoma research meetings for me. Mm -hmm. And became so starting to become part of the family. Mm -hmm. And uh, at that time, we hoped that neuroblastoma would be determined by a genetic, one or two genetic events, <laughs> and uh, hoped to find uh, the neuroblastoma oncogene or the neuroblastoma suppressor gene. Mm -hmm. But this is completely, uh, this is not true anymore. Yes. Right now. We know now that there are probably more reasons than stars in the sky. Mm -hmm. uh, so many different ways to, for the involvement uh, of, uh, of a neuroblastoma. And so we learned here how many aspects, uh, not just genetic events, mutations, but also the epigenetic features, mm -hmm. which are so obviously so important. We learned about Myrnas, we learned about uh, enhancers, mm -hmm. and uh, this is for me quite a new world or evolving world where we uh, have to exchange the opinions and uh, to make the association between the in vitro work and the in vivo, mm -hmm. uh, the in vivo situation. Yes. And this is always good when our students come to us and want to do scientific work. The first start is to go to the pediatric oncology ward mm -hmm. and see how patients do yep. and why they do uh, then in their lab work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so they become emotionally involved. Mm -hmm. And this is our aim. We want to have better treatment mm -hmm. for our patients. So this is, a f for me, the first highlight. The second highlight is the close 
association between the development of the uh, neural crest. That uh, many steps uh, are, are comparable in embryonic development uh, of the sympathetic uh, tissue, and this compares uh, to the development of the neuroblastoma mm -hmm. tumors. To compare what is normal and how is it regulated mm -hmm. compared to the dysregulation of the tumor, uh, is very interesting. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, you know, as, as neuroblastoma is uh, an embryonic cancer, and yeah. it's, it's basically the development gone haywire. And now that we're seeing our colleagues who are not necessarily cancer researchers, like, like Marianne Bonner, who gave one of the keynotes, and, yeah. and uh, an excellent set of, of talks that she presented, and really seeing how her understanding of that normal development compares yeah. to what we do understand about uh, the tumor development, certainly. Uh, and, and I think that's also, it's an important part for uh, pediatric cancer in general, as she's been studying stem cells, yeah. and as the medical world in general is interested in, in being able to use these stem cells therapeutically, we have to ensure that we understand how the cancer happens, so that when they use the stem cell therapeutically, they don't cause a cancer yeah. in that patient as well. So it further highlights the importance of yeah. what we're doing. So if you wouldn't mind taking a few minutes to tell us about what your research interests are. My uh, research interests, um, we, in addition to uh, sequencing neuroblastoma tumors and to find specific mutations which could be druggable. Mm -hmm. I'm very much interested in yeah, new approaches of treatment. Mm -hmm. One is the immunotherapy, which has been pioneered by our uh, COG friends. Mm -hmm. Since uh, our chemotherapy is quite different, our, the, the induction chemotherapy is different and also the uh, myeloablative uh, treatment mm -hmm. has some differences. Uh, so we want to see whether the immunotherapy as proposed by the COG is transferable uh, to other patients in Europe. And it is always good to have a confirmation what has been seen uh, before. Uh -huh. LSU today uh, showed us the absolute important update uh, of that trial and so that's not anymore all things are uh, quite clear and so it, therefore it is very important to uh, repeat and to confirm this trial. We have early experience with antibody treatment between 1997 and uh, 2002. We observed also a small difference, but this difference became um, visible in 2008-2009. So, and then the difference was much smaller, it was not 20%, it was just 10%. Mm -hmm. But in that, uh, in that trial, we used only the antibody mm. without interleukin-2 mm -hmm. and without GMCSF. And now GMCSF and interleukin becomes available to us, and that's why we can do the first European trial uh, to confirm and to see how the considerable toxicity may be handled. <laughs> and the second uh, trial, which uh, will start about in two, two, two to three months, is a, is a metronomic trial, where another approach of chemotherapy, so this is more an anti-angiogenic uh, treatment mm -hmm. where low doses of 
cytostatic drugs and of anti-inflammatory drugs are used and uh, throughout the whole year. And we think this is not only important to know whether this helps, this approach might be more adequate uh, for our patient because it's definitely less toxic mm -hmm. and we get busy sequencing and, and, and genetic uh, information, uh, we will have some uh, new insights and in, uh, in small molecules which may be helpful for our patients. And I'm convinced that a low-tox regimen mm -hmm. on the backbone, in addition to these new drugs, is more useful than high-tox uh, chemotherapy. But this is just a speculation and this has to be proved and this has to be shown Certainly. and so and that's I want to go this way and, and to mm -hmm. see uh, and to start in patients with recurrences from high-risk disease. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the, the study will be for in the relapse setting to that's start? In the, as always yeah. it starts in the, in the relapse setting and if it works mm -hmm. then uh, then I think it will, uh, it could go to frontline to front okay. treatment. And that's very exciting for our patients with high-risk disease and for their parents and for yeah. all of us who take care of those patients. Absolutely. If we yeah. can find a way to decrease that toxicity, mm -hmm. that's, yeah. that's our goal. And I'm also thinking that physicians from less rich countries mm -hmm. will be interested in uh, that type of therapy if it works. Absolutely. Is, yeah. so then they can at much lower cost, mm -hmm. uh, but it's just a different thinking. Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, we'll see whether this works or not. That's a, that's a very interesting point that you bring up as far as access to, uh, to developing countries. It was a, a point that we asked uh, Dr. Pearson and Dr. Haber about when they sat with us, and they certainly are making that as an emphasis point for, uh, to the, um, at least for the 2016 meeting and, and going forward. And also, um, I had the opportunity to speak with the, um, the physicians out of uh, um, the Tata Hospital in India. Yeah, and they have yeah. that exact challenge as well of deciding where to put that effort for their patients. Yeah, and so that would be uh, be quite dramatic. Um, another point that LSU had brought up with regards to what we're seeing from the immunotherapy is that uh, similar to how we treat, um, uh, at least in uh, in COG, our um, ALL patients with a prolonged period of maintenance therapy. Uh, again, low toxicity. Sometimes some drugs are consistent throughout the entire time, little pulses of additional um, medication there as well. Would you see a role for the metronomic, metronomic approach, uh, perhaps, in a similar, uh, a, maintenance. Ma a prolonged maintenance phase for our high Yes, I think leukemia and uh, solid tumors are quite different. Yes. <laughs> uh, but uh, I think that the role of maintenance chemotherapy has been underestimated. Mm -hmm. We have uh, at least three trials in the world where high-dose uh, myeloablative therapy has been compared with maintenance chemotherapy and always maintenance chemotherapy was uh, inferior. Mm -hmm. uh, but this is true in that specific setting. Yes. This has not necessarily to be true for all other settings. So Correct. if the maintenance chemotherapy is designed in a little bit different way, longer or smaller doses or some other drugs, mm -hmm. then it may be completely different. Yeah. 
and I think we have to, uh, I also believe that not only the inflammatory cells and the tumor correspond with each other, the immune system is also very important and mm -hmm. with our high dose uh, induction chemotherapy we uh, are really also impairing the function of the immune system. Yes, I know, absolutely, and uh, it's certainly a major concern um, for, for our patients as well. So it will be uh, yet another challenge for us going forward. Well, with that, um, are there any final remarks or uh, uh, sentiments that you'd like to leave for, for our families and for our listeners, for whom we are all doing this wonderful work? <laughs> <laughs> I'm um, happy, busy, growing collaboration uh, between the different groups in the, uh, in the world basic translational and clinical research, but also with the uh, collaboration between parents' groups mm -hmm. and, and the physicians. Also from a professional way of interaction. Mm -hmm. And I think if that increases, and we had here uh, the first meeting of the Consortium of Neuroblastoma Foundations, which to me was also quite important to focus on the major steps we should go together for the sake of our families and, and for, our, for our patients, of course. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for your time, Dr. Berthold, and uh, we hope that you'll be able to get some rest after the <laughs> undoubtedly very busy time that you've had putting together this conference for us. It was a pleasure. And thank all three of you for that great conversation. It sounds like it was an exciting meeting. Hopefully, some of the rest of us will be able to attend it in future years. So to our listening audience, we're happy to read your emails during a future podcast and discuss your comments and questions. If you send us a note to twipo at solvingkidscancer.org. You can also follow us at Twitter at Twipo Podcast, and you can sign up for automatic notification when we post a new ep episode by registering using the RSS feed link on the Solving Kids Cancer website. Thanks to the team of Solving Kids Cancer, a nonprofit charity dedicated to improving survival through creating novel treatment options for children. That team includes Donna Ludwinski, our executive producer, and Jenny Song, director of communications. And also thanks to Scott Kennedy and John Lennon, who are the founding co-directors of Solving Kids Cancer. Remember, the more we learn, communicate, share ideas, and work together, the faster we'll reach the day when all childhood cancer is preventable or curable. As always, keep up the fight, and thanks for listening to This Week in Pediatric Oncology. 